Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. It says to we're going to make it to the end of the chapter, but we probably won't. Um, and we'll, we'll pick it up again next time. Mark chapter 3 as well. And Luke 19, apparently. Okay, once again, what's the theme of Ephesians? Chapters 1, 2, and 3, Christian, speaking to the Christian, you are wealthy. You've been blessed beyond belief. Uh, among other things, God has taken all of your sin and wiped it away. He's thrown it into the sea of forgetfulness. He's made you part of his family. Undeserved favor, just ridiculous. Well, chapters 4, 5, and 6 is the rest of the, the book. Christian, you're wealthy. Now walk worthy. And that's where we are now. Chapter 4, we're in, in, uh, toward the end of it. Basically, here's what we've learned so far in chapter 4. As a response, never to earn God's uh, favor, but as a response to his graciousness, his goodness, Paul says, therefore, walk, number one, in humility. We saw that early on in the chapter. Number two, walk in unity. Uh, do what, what you have to to make sure that you're uh, walking in agreement in, in, uh, in unity with the people around you. Um, walk in maturity is what we saw a couple weeks ago. And then last week, chapters uh, verse 17 and through 24 here was the message Christian because of all that God has done great so much graciousness toward you walk differently walk differently than you used to Walk, walk differently than the world around you and it really came down to pretty much four phrases and some of you might be thinking well why didn't you just say the four phrases last week so we could go home early Sorry, it's not how we roll here. Came down to these four things. Quit, sit, put off, and put on. Verse 17 through 19, just real quick as review. What Paul says is, look, you just need to decide to quit walking like you did before you knew Christ. And what he says there is basically, you need to realize that if you don't quit walking like you used to, even though you're a new creation, if you don't quit walking like you used to, eventually you'll end up just as unhappy, just as lifeless, just as directionless, just as hardened, just as shameless and empty and unsatisfied as you were the first time. Sure, you may be going to heaven, but what a miserable existence up until then. First, you needed to decide to quit walking like you used to. But then verse 20 and 21, and this is critical, you can't just stop there. No, after you decide to quit and you can't do it in your own power, you must sit at Jesus' feet. Verse 20 and 21 basically says this. Look, Jesus is the great teacher. He's the great rabbi. And, and our job is to not sit and learn just about him. I commend you for being here today to learn about him. But our job here is to sit and learn from him. Personally, the picture is of you and Jesus and the Bible, and he teaches you. Let him renew your mind. He is the vine. You are the branch. Without him, he said it. I didn't. You can't do anything. If you are not personally learning from him, not just about him, but from him, you will not walk differently than the world. You cannot. So quit, sit, and then Paul says, look, if you're willing to quit and you're willing to sit at Jesus' feet, then it really comes down to this. Put off and put on. Very simple. Put off and put on. Look at verse 22. 
that you put off concerning the former conduct, that your, your former lifestyle, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, is still growing corrupt. The old you is still getting worse and worse. Verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind by sitting at his feet and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul says, put off the old man, put on the new man. The Bible says, if indeed you are truly a Christian, that is, if you were born again. And Jesus says, unless you're born again, you can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. If you are truly born again, it was our family memory verse last week. Second Corinthians 517. You are a new creation. Everything that you just sang is true. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You are a new creation. You are no longer a slave to sin. You used to be able to say, the devil made me do it. You can't say that anymore if you're a Christian. Because you are free to make a choice. You have a choice. Ephesians 4, verse 22 and 23, Paul says the Christian chooses every day between two wardrobes. Put off the old man with his filthy rags. Put on the new man, Jesus, in his righteous robes. The old man with his filthy rags, just as filthy and craving and corrupted and growing more so, being deceived by his own lust, still craving more and more and still no satisfaction. Does that sound familiar? That's the old man. You have that choice or to put on the new man, shiny, spotless, squeaky clean, new car smell. Maybe for some of you, you don't like the new Okay, forget that. The, the new man who's satisfied, he lives in true righteousness and holiness. <clears throat> now, Let me say here, this only applies for the born-again Christian. It only applies to those of us in this room who have actually become a new creation. Those who have the teacher-student relationship with Jesus, where he's your rabbi, you're his disciple. Um, Those who have the king and subject relationship with him. And most... Crazily of all, I don't know if that's a word, those, those of us who have that friend-to-friend relationship with the Son of God. Those are the only people that this applies to. If you are not yet a Christian, if you haven't given your life to Him, you've never made that transaction, uh, surrendered to Him, if He's not your boss, your king, then these verses are not for you. I hate to be rude, But you've only got one wardrobe, the old man. Try and as you might, you make me try to rehabilitate. You're trying to turn over a new leaf. But in your spiritual closet, there's only filthy rags. Now, you may look at your your filthy rags and go, well, they're better than that, guys. Okay. That's called self-righteousness. And. And God, when he looks in that same closet that you look at and you're proud of, Isaiah 64, verse 6 says, But we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. We, we fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, they've taken us away. God looks at 
even the, that which we're proud of, and he sees that it's stained. He knows our heart. He knows that it's stained, for instance, with selfish ambition or pride or arrogance. He looks at what we call our Sunday best, and he sees filthy rags. But because of Jesus, because I'm born again, I have a choice. I can choose between my old filthy rags and his new righteous robes. If you're an unbeliever, you don't have that choice. But God wants you to have that choice. God wants to offer you the, the free, perfectly righteous robes of his son for you to take free, completely free. And I want to encourage you to stay tuned to, to the, at the end of, of today. Before we leave, I'm going to give you an opportunity that you can have his righteous robes in your closet, your spiritual closet, if you will. All right, here we go. The rest of t- today, basically, in our text anyway, is directed toward the Christian. And he says, Paul says to the Christian, look, you get to choose. Either the filthy rags of the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, verse 22, or the righteous robes, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. By the way, this concept of laying off one thing and putting on another is not just something that Paul created himself. It's interesting, it's throughout the New Testament and from different authors. Matter of fact, whenever I pause, I want you guys to say, lay aside. Okay? And you'll see that this concept is throughout the New Testament. Hebrews 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore, lay aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, all evil speaking. All of that old junk that you used to wear. James chapter 1, verse 21. Therefore, all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. These, throughout the New Testament, there's this idea. Look, it's as simple as lay it aside. Lay it aside. And Paul goes further in his, whenever he uses the, the same idea. Romans 13, verse 12. The night is far spent, he says. The day is at hand, therefore let us... Actually, it's cast off. But it's the same idea. Let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. Paul says, but now you yourselves are to put off all of these. But yeah, still the same idea. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. And verse 10, and have um, put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. You get it? Put off, put on, put off, put on. How many of you have heard the phrase, clothes make the man? Raise your hand high. All right. You guys are older than the first group, apparently. I said that and everyone was like, nope, haven't heard it. I've heard it a lot. I guess I'm, I'm pretty old. The, the idea is, and this, this is the world's point of view on it. Look, how you dress, people are going to make assumptions on you and it's, it's, it's going um, to impact how people look at you and therefore it will make the man. Okay? Um, you can see I don't necessarily ascribe to that. But Paul says, look, spiritually it's true. The clothes that you choose make the man. As a Christian, how you live the rest of your life, what kind of woman or man you will become 
is largely dependent upon your day-to-day choice. What are you going to wear? In today's text, verse 25 to 32, Paul begins to give specific examples now. Okay, just in case you think he's talking ethereally here. He begins to to boil it down for us in particular areas of our life. And here's what he says. Three times you'll see this pattern every time three things that he, he talks about. Number one, what to put off. Number two, what to put on in its place. And number three, why. Put off, put on, and here's why. You guys ready? Here we go. Verse 25. Therefore, Paul says, putting away lying. Put off the filthy rags of lying. And here's what you put on. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. And here's why. For we are members of one another. First, Paul says, put away the filthy rag of lying. In the Greek, it's pseudos. So it's not just lying outwardly, like specifically, but it means includes all kinds of deceit, white lies, fibs, exaggerations. Now, I didn't share this with the first uh, service because I forgot, but did you hear a Pennsylvania pastor has been forced into an embarrassing back down after his claims that he was a Navy SEAL proved to be a lie? For five years, I won't give his name, this, this person told his congregation that he had served with the elite group in Vietnam. And I guess he, I don't know if he referred to it recently because of all of the attention they were getting, but how embarrassing. And this from, from a pastor, Paul says, lay aside all sorts of deceit. And, and it goes on to say that, you know, he probably mentioned it a few times and then people were like, oh yeah, aren't you the guy? And he, he just never corrected them. You, you can lie be deceitful without even opening your mouth sometimes, right? This would include cheating at school, cheating at work, misrepresenting a product, misrepresenting yourself. It includes flattery. You guys heard that, right? If somebody butters you up, get ready because it means they're getting ready to sink their teeth into you. The word pseudos, it means all kinds of falseness. You can lie without even opening your mouth. Let me show you. Someone comes to you and they say, Hey, I just found a hundred dollar bills. Is this yours? <laughs> the, the, right then, at that moment, you have a choice, right? Let's call it the, the moment of truth. What are you going to wear? I mean, you're going to wear the old man who can live with deception? Or are you going to wear the new man who speaks truth? Granted, it's not always an easy choice. Think of that Geico commercial, Abraham Lincoln. You guys know it? Where his wife says, does this dress make my derriere look big? And he goes, uh, a little. <laughs> okay, let's not ask that question anymore, okay? I mean, you, you don't have a whole lot of options, guys. Uh, no, honey, it doesn't. It's not the dress. No, we can't say that. It's, it's definitely the, the moment of truth. And what, what about this moment of truth? Uh, somebody comes up to you in your car and they're wearing a uniform and they say, do you know how fast you were going? Well, I kind of do. Yeah, it's about 17 miles an hour over. Whatever. Life is filled with moments of truth. And the question is, what will you wear? Joe Foch, pastor in, uh, in Philly, says, I guarantee you the first one to show up is the old man. 
that set of clothes is going to be that's really handy and comfortable is the old you. But what will you wear? Will you wear the filthy old rags that you used to wear that, by the way, corrupted all your relationships? And by the way, is a hand-me-down from the Satan, Satan, the father of lies? Or will you wear the new man, which was created in Christ Jesus, who calls himself the way, the truth, and the life? Verse 25, therefore, putting away, that is, put it off, lying, let each one of you, here's what you put on, speak truth with his neighbor. So if you're in a situation where if you tell the truth, it will be embarrassing. Or it will cost you money. Or it will make you vulnerable. Or it might result in a conversation that's much longer than you want to get into. What will you wear? That wardrobe, uh, that moment of truth. Will you keep wearing that outfit called lying deceit? It's comfortable. Somebody mentioned last week, you know, the problem with the old man is he's really comfortable. Right? We, we really got used to him. It's tempting, but Paul says, look, that old man is growing corrupt by the day. Will you choose that or will you speak the truth no matter what it costs you? You used to have no choice, Christian, but now you do. And Paul urges you to choose Christ. And here's why. Look at it. For we are members of one another. Familiar theme in Ephesians, right? The idea of we're all one body and there's individual members, right? When you think about this, isn't this true? Isn't it kind of important that the members of the body... Speak truth to one another. Imagine if your eyeball lied to your brain. 20 feet to the edge of the cliff. Three seconds later, you're falling to your death and your eyeball says, psych. We are interdependent on each other. So we have to, if we want to survive, we have to speak the truth. Even if it's uncomfortable. Funny, we don't, when we, when we justify our own lying, we don't think it's that big of a deal. But how many of you, if you were filling out some uh, form, what's most important to you? Honesty. Would you put that at the bottom of the list? <laughs> yeah, I don't, you know, as long as they're good looking, I don't really care if they lie to me, if I can't trust them. Honesty is always super important. Paul says, put off lying, put on the truth. Why? Because all relationships depend upon the truth. We are a body of the church. But interesting, it says everyone speak truth with your neighbor. To me, what did Jesus say? Who is your neighbor? It's the whole world, right? Look, the reason that our world is getting worse and worse is because nobody tells the truth. Christians, we are called to be salt and light, to be different, to tell the truth. Next item, Paul says, oh, let's look in your wardrobe. What else you got? Says, next item is anger. Be angry. That's easy. I can do that. (laughs) Oh, wait. It says, and do not sin. First part is easy. Be angry. How many people are pretty good at that sometimes? Okay. Second part is the rub. The Bible says to be angry and to not sin. Now you're like, is that possible? Oh, yes. Look at at Mark chapter 3 with me. Jesus, he was angry, but he did not sin. If he sinned, then he is no longer the the Lamb of God that can take away your sin. He lived a perfect life, and we're going to see right here where he was angry, but he didn't sin. 
Mark 3, verse 1. And he, Jesus, entered the synagogue again. And a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely. Whether they is the Pharisees, the the people who are trying to to, uh, run Jesus out of town or get him killed. So they watched him closely. Whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, that they might accuse him. What a terrible thing. And he said to the man who, who had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, can you just see him looking at him? Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked at, around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he couldn't believe how hard they were. They would much rather let this man continue on with his withered hand um, than, than to have this done or... They were waiting to see if he would heal so that they could do worse and, and kill Jesus uh, in the future. When he had looked at, around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And his hand was restored as whole as the other. You guys see, sometimes it's okay. It's good to be angry. It's right to be angry when someone uh, is grieving the spirit. All of us, uh, there is a righteous anger, and it's okay. Sometimes it's, you can honestly say, I'm good and mad. I'm mad, and I'm good. It's, it's right that I am. And here Jesus is doing good on the Sabbath, saving a life, and these guys are doing evil on the same Sabbath that they're pretending to uh, protect. They're plotting to kill Jesus on the Sabbath. So Paul, or excuse me, Jesus' anger is righteous, but watch this, it's controlled. You see that Jesus is controlling his righteous anger. His anger is not controlling him. How many of us, if we were in this exact same situation, it would have gone more like this. We would have looked around. Stretch out your hand. Okay, now make a fist with it. Now beat these guys senseless. He was angry, but he did not sin. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, our text, be angry and do not sin. Christian, Paul says, look, in your closet, you have the old man who is controlled by anger. And and you have the new man, Jesus, who can still be angry, but never controlled by sin. Which will you wear? Paul says, look, if you want to, to, to respond to God's graciousness, therefore, put off that sinful anger. And here's what to put on says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Now, wait a second. That, what he's doing is he's expressing what you would put on in the negative. Let, let me put it in the positive for you, okay? Put, put off the, the sinful wrath, right? And here's what to put on. The pursuit of peace. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Here's another way to say it. Don't let the sun sink into the horizon before you work it out. Don't let the sun sink into the horizon before you work it out. Y'all, this was an ancient idiom, and we still say it today, right? How many have heard, don't go to bed angry? Okay. For, for Lisa and I, this is actually one of our absolute rules. Don't go to bed angry. We haven't slept in years. So. No, that's not true. Tell the truth. No, actually, we, over the years, we've had some long discussions into the night until she finally admits she's wrong. 
All right, it's funny, but this, this, okay, now I really am telling the truth. See, that's a problem with telling lies. Um, if you will make this rule, married couples, if you will make this rule, we will not go to bed angry till we've worked it out. You will learn how to, how to live together, how to work it out. Here's the deal. You will learn through exhaustion. I'm serious. That's how I learned. The quickest way for me to get some rest is to apologize. To say, I really blew it. Will you forgive me? The, the quickest way to get some rest in that situation is to be willing to apologize, to forgive. Paul says, put off that sinful anger, anger, put on the attitude that pursues peace. And y'all, this isn't just for married couples. This is another way to say this, the same thing. Put off that sinful anger and do not rest until you've achieved peace with your brother. As much as depends upon you. Put this filthy rag off and put on the righteous robes that pursue peace. Like a bulldog with a stake. Like white on rice, the relentless pursuit of peace. How many people have heard me talk about that before? I hope a few. <laughs> I feel like I feel like we're called to talk about it a lot. The the righteous robes look like this, pursuing peace doggedly. And by the way, that righteous robe came directly from Jesus' wardrobe. What does Philippians two tell us? Paul says, when he, and he's talking about two ladies who can't get along. He says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. When he left heaven, he's equal with God. And he humbled himself as a man. And he became a point, uh, obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross, that he might achieve unity with nasty sinners like us. The pursuit of peace from heaven to the cross that is the dogged pursuit of peace. And it's the righteous robes that Jesus wears and that he gave you. And it's in your wardrobe and you can use it. Put off the old man, he says, who can't control his anger. Put on the new man who pursues peace. And here's why. And this is important. Look at verse 27. Nor give place to the devil. That's the why. And it's really important. What Paul's saying here is, look, you don't control your anger. I promise you it will control you. If you don't pursue peace, pursue, peace will not pursue you. It will not just come on your doorstep and say, hey, here I am. I'm peace with your neighbor. If you don't talk it out with your brother or sister, then verse 27 says you are giving place to the devil. Now, what does that mean? To give uh, in the Greek is didomai, and it means to hand over, to bestow a gift. All right. So already I don't really like this. I'm giving a gift to the devil. Nor give place to the devil. What's the place? It's any portion or space that is marked off, as it were, from a surrounding space. Maybe that doesn't help. Let me put it this way. There's military connotations to this word. Here's what it means. To voluntarily surrender a portion of land. To some, some people say to give the devil a foothold. Paul says when you let anger win. When you don't pursue peace, here's what you're doing. You're giving a gift to the enemy. You are surrendering a place to the enemy of your soul from which then he will promise you set up a base of operations. 
It says, nor give place to the devil. The word is diabolos. And it means the accuser. One who is prone to slander, slandering, accusing falsely. Now, this might be a rabbit trail for you, but it, it, to me, it is, could be beneficial to somebody here in the room. I've noticed this to be true, even just practically. Here's what I mean. If you refuse to pursue peace with that person, you're like, you know what? I go to second service. He goes to the first service. We, we're getting along great. If, if you refuse to pursue peace with that person, with someone, if you will not talk it out. I've noticed we tend to think the worst of that person. Guess what? The enemy has found a place where he's accusing that person in your head over and over again. To the point where that person could be building a home for the homeless. And you think in your head, he's just looking for the publicity. I wonder if there's anyone here who because of unforgiveness or unresolved anger or an offense that was never dealt with. Maybe you've surrendered territory to the devil. And you're thinking worse about a person than it's even actually true. He's using it as a base of operation. Don't rest until you have pursued peace with that person. Otherwise, the, the devil will continue to use that space uh, that you have surrendered from a place where he can slander and kill and steal and destroy. Do all the things that he does best. So Paul says, look, if you're a Christian, if you're truly born again, you have a choice. Put off lying. Put on the truth. Put off sinful anger. Put on the pursuit of peace. And let's just cover one more today. Verse 28. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good. And you've got to be careful about the punctuation there. Some people want to have it read this way. Let him who stole steal. No. No, this is about putting off and putting on. Now, again, probably most of us look, okay, well, I don't have to worry too much about that because I'm not really a thief. Let's just talk about the, the ramifications of theft in our country. Did you know that in 2006, there were 34,000 robberies in Florida? We're number four when it comes to robberies. We missed the top three by just that much. Crazy. I don't, I don't know if it's uh, particularly helpful, but California, of course, is, is a bigger, bigger state. But they outranked number two by twice. Uh, like two, three, and four, all of us were around about 30-something thousand. California had like 78,000 robberies in 2006. Then there's shoplifting. Um, this is provided by the National Association for Shoplifting Prevention. Listen to this. More than $13 billion worth of goods are stolen from retailers each year. You know how many, much that is a day? $35 million a day is stolen. You wonder why prices go up? There are approximately 27 million shoplifters. That's one in 11 people. Look around you. No. Um, more, more than 10 million people have been caught shoplifting in the last five years. Okay. Then there's employee theft. Um, this is from the American Society of Employers. Businesses lose 20% of every dollar to employee theft. 20%. And we wonder again why prices are high. 75% of employees steal from work. And most do so repeatedly. This is from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. 75% of employees steal from work. And most of us, again, would probably say, oh, that's awful. I can't believe people would do that. 
Listen to this. The Boston Globe and Denver Post report that time theft and loafing cost U.S. companies over $400 billion a year in lost productivity. And that's not to mention borrowing money and not paying it back. Borrowing stuff and not giving it back. That's why I have told you, never give me stuff. Because I will lose it and you will turn me into a thief. Don't do it. Listen, defaulting on a loan is stealing. Using credit cards to buy stuff that you can't afford and you end up not being able to pay back is stealing. Paul says, Christian, you used to have no choice. You, you literally were a thief. You stole because you were a thief. But you're no longer a thief and now you can choose. Verse 28, let him who stole steal no longer. Put off stealing, he says, but rather let him labor. Put this on. And what the word labor there is not just work. It's actually hard work. It's actually working to the point of exhaustion. Put on hard work, working with his hands, what is good. Paul says, take off the stealing, put on the hard work. The old you expected a handout. The new you, Jesus in you, works with his hands. Y'all realize, right, that the vast majority of Jesus' life, he lived 33 years before he was crucified. 30 of those years, well, maybe after he hit about 10 years old, but definitely before 18, tell you that. He spent as a carpenter, working with his hands, working hard. Even when he was an itinerant preacher, he never looked for a handout. He looked to give, right? That's why when people would come to follow him, he'd go, okay, I've got to tell you. Uh, foxes have holes, birds have uh, nests. I got no place to lay my head. If you want to follow me, you're just going to sleep under the stars. Are you good with that? He was never looking for a handout. No, instead, he's the one who provided for 5,000 men and their wives and their kids. Paul says, Christian, if you're a Christian, if indeed you're a Christian, put off the old filthy rags of the thief, the freeloader, and put on the righteous robes of the hard worker. Working with his hands, what is good? And here's why, verse 28. That he may have something to spend on himself and get more and more stuff. Oh, wait. No, it doesn't say that. That might be the new American standard. But it's not the new American standard Bible version. That version is actually much closer to ours, which says that he may have something to give him who has need. Paul says... The old man was a freeloader, right? He was a guy who borrowed and never returned. He was a taker. The new man, the Jesus in you, is a hard worker who puts in a solid, honest, hard day's work that he may give. Not that he may spend it upon himself, but that he may look for opportunities to bless. Man, what, a, what an awesome thing it is to be able to, to be in a position where you can help those who need it. Now, maybe you're not particularly moved yet from the idea of selfishness. You're like, hey, I do work hard and I work hard for me. And that's just the way it is. Or maybe you're even worse off, which would be to say, look, I'm kind of a taker and I'm good with that. You're not convinced yet to be, go from freeloading to free giving. Luke 19, according to this crowd over here. Turn with me. Luke 19. I want you to see that Jesus says, look, this is a mark of salvation. 
Luke 19, verse 1. Is this right? Then Jesus entered. Yes? Good job. All right. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a, a wee little man. No, was a chief tax collector and he was rich. You know why he was rich? Because he stole. Tax collectors in that day were notorious. They would cook the books. They would do whatever they needed to to take advantage of their, their situation, their power, and they would steal. They might do it legally, but they were still stealing. Verse 3, And he sought to see who Jesus was, but he could not because of the crowd, for he was a wee little man. Um, so he ran ahead and climbed up into the sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. You and I are going to have dinner. You're by him. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when, he, when they saw it, they all complained, those Pharisees again, saying, He's gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. But look at this, verse 8. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, he probably should have said, and since I have, I restore fourfold. And what is Jesus' response? I tell you, today salvation has come to this house. Christian, even when it comes to your finances... You have an old man and a new man. You have a choice of which garb you're going to wear. You might mention it uh, to, to me or to Scott Merklinger. Uh, leadership, we talked on Thursday about possibly trying to bring uh, the Dave Ramsey course here. Um, if, if you're familiar with what I'm talking about it, and you're interested, please let us know. Because I realize there may be people here. You've, you've, you are a taker, but you want to be a giver. And maybe you don't know how to, to move from that spot to the next spot. If that's something you're interested in, please let us know. But I can tell you this. You can change today by changing your attitude. By saying, oh yeah, that's right. Lord, you didn't make me a taker. You made me a giver. Paul says to the Christian, it's as simple as this really. When you boil it down to it, you quit what you're doing. You sit at Jesus' feet and then you put off and put on. It's as simple as putting off lying. And speaking the truth. Why? Because we're members of the same body. It's as simple as putting off unrighteous anger and putting on the dogged pursuit of peace. Why? Because we don't want to give the devil a place of operations, right? It's as simple as putting off stealing and putting on working, putting off freeloading and putting on free giving. And here's why. Because our king is a free giver. Every single one of us, the fact that we have any future at all is because he was willing to give everything that we might have eternal life with Him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your mercy and Your goodness. And we ask, Lord, that You'd help us. We just uh, we want to please You, Lord, today. There's so much more here in the text and, and things that we can put off and, and should put off and, and put on. Lord, I pray that You'd help us now as we, uh, we come to a point of application. Lord, that this wouldn't just be words on a page for somebody else. Lord, but You'd help us to examine our hearts and see how we're living still, Lord, like the, like the world around us. And how you, you have made it possible that we can live. Lord, help us not to settle and to, to act like we're, we're, like we're not new because we are. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.